Hi everyone. On today's show, host Melinda sits down with guests from all different kinds of backgrounds and experiences to ask them, why Jesus? Why have you chosen to follow him? And what difference has he made in your life? That's coming up now on See, Hear, Love. You are seen, you are heard, you are loved by God. You're not alone, you're fully known, you are loved by God. Well, welcome to See, Hear, Love. I'm your host, Melinda. And today I interview five different and diverse guests on the question, why Jesus? See Here Love has always been about a community that creates space for you to ask questions, learn more about your faith, about Jesus, and to hear stories of people who have decided very courageously to follow him no matter the cost. So you are in for a real treat for this show. So let's start off with Jen Hatmaker. She is a New York Times bestselling author, an award-winning podcaster, a blogger, a speaker, and book club founder out of Texas. I sat down with Jen earlier this year from her home to mine to talk about why Jen follows Jesus. Jen Hatmaker, I really want sort of the messy, honest answer of why Jesus. Why do you follow Jesus? Mm. And it can be messy. <laughs> yeah. There have been times I wished I could just bail. I wish I could just bail on the whole thing and not continue to fight for the church that I love and fight against the injustices inside of it. And I wish I could just live outside of its control. And yet, Jesus, that's the deal. He's the guy. Mm -hmm. Like, he is the guy who has my heart, my loyalty. Um, he's captured my imagination my entire life. I'm still fascinated by Jesus, absolutely like floored by the way he walked on this earth. Um, I feel such a tenderness toward him that I just can't seem to ruin. And I've tried. I have tried. Um, and strangely enough, life is unable to ruin it. And life has been hard. Mm -hmm. And life has provided a lot of suffering um, and pain. And even there, Jesus is as good as he said he was. And he's as near and dear and tender and kind as he ever claimed to be. And so the second he shows himself as a fraud, I'll change my mind. But I'm just telling you, um, having lived a lifetime um, of faith alongside Jesus, with him, for him, by him, I can't find any cracks in the armor yet. That's, that's my guy. And so I think that will be where my loyalty lies until my last breath on this earth. Jen, as far as characteristic of him, like one of the top one, two of him, like what would you say for somebody who's not very familiar with him would be, yeah, two things. You would say, yeah, those are the things I just love. I think what him. keeps me really connected to Jesus right now and inspired by him and encouraged to, it actually gives me courage is the way in which Jesus always went against the power differentials, always went against the power structures, mm -hmm. um, the, the backs that he had on earth, the, uh, the challenges that he issued, the authority that he questioned. Um, he, was a, he was a rebel. I mean, he really was. He did not play nice um, with the 
hierarchies and the systems in power at, at the time. That just gives me literal courage mm -hmm. to do what we are called to do right now as we live inside countries and cultures that are just rife with um, injustice and um, and unfairness and power differentials too. So um, that's probably my favorite thing about him. Like he wasn't just a soft guy, like walking around with the children. You know, he was really with the lamb. courageous. And you know, with the lamb. I know. Like the picture in all my Sunday school classes. <laughs> um, and then I think the other thing, I'm having to work right now with Jesus a lot on um, recovery. I'm in, a, I'm in a season of recovery and um which i don't enjoy i do not enjoy this um and what i'm what i'm learning with him right now is that his presence in sorrow and then ultimately into recovery is is what i need it isn't formulaic it isn't you should or shouldn't um it isn't impatient and um, when he hears the same thing from my mouth again, um, it isn't easily angered when I misdirect my anger and frustration toward him because it just needs somewhere to go. Um, and so this sense that I can trust Jesus, not just with my life, but with my sorrow, it's big, really, really, really big. I'll not forget this ever. And finally, Jen, for, you know, generations of millennials and Gen Y, I have two Gen Ys in my house. And they just are not connecting with sort of the Christianity they see, the church that they see. What's your encouragement to them? I mean, you've talked about it, the rebel and the story you can come to, but for the younger people, what would you say to them to say, you know, give them a chance? Hmm. You know, it's, it's not about the religion, it's the relationships with people and him, but what would you say to encourage them to say, give them a chance today? Well, religion and the organized church has done its darndest to push the next generation away. They've, they've given it an A plus effort and it is working. And so what I would tell the next generation, and I have the same age group and the same issue with my kids, is that Jesus will be found. That's just a fact. So like he doesn't exist just inside a, under a steeple. Um, and so I know what ministered to me when I needed it was finding a faith community. And for me, it was largely virtual for a while. Um, my teachers were virtual. Um, the internet provided me a faith community. I didn't know existed that I had never been a physical member of, um, where, my questions were welcomed and where spiritual curiosity was celebrated and discussion was lively, but not punitive. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll be darned if you can't find God in there again. Um, and so I would just suggest that maybe it's possible that your primary issue is with the system, not the, not the savior. Um, and full permission to walk away from some of the structures and find God where I'll be found. Um, the wilderness turns out to be a pretty good church um, and it's full of pretty great people. And so um, come out here and join us. There's a lot of us out here. It's wild. I mean, it's absolutely wild. And, um, and I think, I think the spiritual seeker will find what he or she is looking for if, if they're willing to look 
in some unlikely places. It's beautiful. And I've been there and I think some of the deepest heartbreaking, but wonderful rebuilding in my own life as a follower of Jesus. We're in some of the darkest wild wilderness deserts. And so Jen, thank you again. Wonderful to have you. And uh, thanks so much for your words and presence. My absolute pleasure. Well, I love what Jen said about Jesus and why she follows him, that he sits with us in our sorrow and he is a rebel without a cause. And I love that about Jesus as well. So thank you so much, Jen. Well, next I sat down and listened to and learned from Ken Shigematsu. He is the senior pastor of 10th Church in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, which is one of the largest and most diverse churches in Canada. He's also the recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal, and he worked for Sony Corporation in Tokyo before he became a pastor. So think, successful businessman to pastor. So why not ask a pastor why he follows Jesus? Here's my conversation with Ken Shigematsu. Ken, it is so great to chat with you and listen and learn from my home to your office in Vancouver. Is that right, Vancouver? That's right, Vancouver, right here at my office, yeah. Well, Ken, I'm glad that you're here because it's always interesting to ask a pastor why they follow Jesus. I mean, some people are like, that's obvious, Melinda, but I really think a lot of viewers and listeners would be interested to say, why do you follow Jesus? Why, why this faith versus all the other religions out there? And maybe just sort of on a personal note and also practical, theological, whatever you want to say, but why can follow Jesus? Sure, I'd be glad to answer that, Melinda. Uh, first of all, part of the reason I follow Jesus is because of the historic evidence that Christ rose from the dead. He had a ragtag group of fishermen, formerly uneducated, on the margins that cowered in fear after Jesus was crucified, but they believed that Christ rose from the dead. They saw him and they went on to change the world. So that's one reason. But I also have a more personal reason. When I was a teenager, like some kids, I was getting into some trouble. I was shoplifting. I was borrowing cars from a local repair shop. I had a friend who worked there and we were driving around in the cars before we were old enough to legally drive. I was yeah, getting into some small-time drug dealing, getting into some fights at school. And my dad, who was this very traditional Asian man originally from Japan, was concerned about me. And so he took me on a little field trip to a local prison. And he later said, I just wanted you to see your future home. Wow. Or courtesy of my tax dollars. But that didn't scare me straight. And so he took me to a Christian youth conference. My father had just become a follower of Jesus himself, having been raised in a nominally Buddhist home. And I heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so that I could have a new beginning. I didn't exactly know what that meant, but I had a sense that my life was going in the wrong direction. And so as a teenager in high school, I gave my life over to Christ, not knowing what that would mean exactly. And Christ began to change my life, and it has been an amazing adventure. Um, it has uh, changed my life across the decades. And I don't follow Jesus because I'm a pastor. I became a pastor because I followed Jesus, and he led me first into the business world and now into this ministry. Ken, wow. 
Way to go, Dad. <laughs> uh, and my mom was praying, too, so that made a big difference. For every person I know, there's got to be a praying mom or a praying grandma or nana who has helped us. I'm I definitely on my side, too. Ken, so you you made the decision. You said, you know, it, it's it's for the better. It's been, you know, a, an amazing experience. In, in what way? Because I think I also don't want it to be where you make the decision and everything's great, right? Like, you know, we never want to sell that, you know, you decide Jesus and then you're successful, uh, financially, you're strong, all these things. I would never want to say that, but, but what is it that's good in the following of him and being re- in relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I think that one of the greatest gifts, Melinda, is this sense that I'm never alone, that I've got this amazing, incredibly wise, compassionate friend with me all the time. Sometimes I feel his presence more than others. But um, one example would be uh, when I was in a romantic relationship, I was hoping to uh, marry a young woman. We got engaged to be married, and then we broke up. And I was, I was heartbroken. And uh, normally I would get up early in the morning to go for a run, live not far from the beach here in Vancouver, uh, just wanted to get as much out of the day as possible, but I felt so down and depressed that I found it hard to push the covers off of my face and get out of bed. And uh, there was one or two moments uh, in the aftermath of that breakup when I was feeling so low that God came to me, Jesus came to me in such a sweet, mystical, mysterious way that um, it's, I can't describe it in words, but at the lowest point in my life, or one of the lowest points, he was there with me. And, and so I feel like I have a companion. It's not that all of our hopes and dreams are fulfilled in just the way we hope, but God has been a faithful companion. His son Christ has been the greatest gift of our lives. Mm-hmm. When you look at historical Jesus and, and how he lived and interacted with people in you know, the scriptures, what what are maybe two can things about Jesus? And you're like, that's awesome. <laughs> like he's really pretty amazing in the way that he did this or that. What, what's a standup for you about his character? Yeah, there, there are a couple of things that, that come to mind. Um, when I was, uh, going back to when I was a teenager, I thought that if I would follow Jesus, my life would be maybe good in a moral sense, but really dull and boring. And I had worked really, really hard to get into the popular set in high school. Uh, I made it in just barely, uh, mind you, just barely. And I thought if I give my life over to Christ, um, I, I'm just gonna be in the out group. But someone shared with me, a camp counselor, that Jesus didn't come so that our lives would be dull and boring, but he came that we might have life to the very maximum, a, a life of great adventure. And I found that to be true. And then second, um, you know, I've led a pretty busy life before becoming a pastor, Melinda. I was what they called a 7-Eleven man oh. in Tokyo. I was in the corporate world. And that meant my work day went from 7 in the morning till 11 at night. And so it was pretty crazy. I figured my life would settle down once I became a pastor here in Vancouver. But I was keeping almost the same hours early on in my ministry. They're, they're um, less now. But Jesus' words, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart and you will find rest for your soul. So that, that verse and that part of Jesus's character that enables me to rest at the deepest level, even while I'm involved in a lot of activity, uh, has been such a gift. Amazing. I love that. And Ken, for those that are still on the 
kind of outside looking in and saying, I, I'm trying to decide, not quite sure about Jesus, but he, there's intrigue and, you know, there's a community church is very, you know, is very inviting. Like, you know what I mean? Like people are, are kind of like asking the question, what would you say to those people who are just like, should I or shouldn't I follow him? Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, t- take a, a first step or a second step and maybe begin to pray. Jesus, if you're really real, show yourself to me, show me your love and, um, and see what happens. I think it's, it's worth an experiment. You know, when someone told me, as I mentioned, that following Jesus would not be boring, but it will um, become the greatest adventure of your life. I treated it as an experiment back when I was 15 or 16. And now, three or four decades later, I'm still on that experiment. So why not take a step and see if Jesus is real by saying, praying, if you're there, show yourself to me. I love that. And finally, I have to just ask, what do you love about being a pastor? I mean, there's probably great challenges because you work with people <laughs> and expectations, but what, is, what are some of the things that you just love in, in the role that you do? Yeah, um, you mentioned people, when people are suffering or in conflict, that can be really hard, but the opportunity to see lives transformed, changed, Melinda, you know about this. And so I'm in my office right now, uh, two or three months into our pandemic, um, you know, we had been doing online services, and I walked into my office. I picked up my phone over here in my office. You can sort of see it and, and uh, listen to the voicemail. And um, there was a voice on the other side recorded uh, from someone, and she said, um, "We've never met. I'm not part of your church. I don't live in your city of Vancouver, but I've been going through a really rough time during COVID-19." and I tune into your worship services every week and they are a lifeline to me. I don't know exactly what's happening for her, but she's receiving comfort and she's being uplifted in some way. And so to see people encouraged, challenged, and changed by Jesus is the greatest gift to pastor. And obviously you don't need to be a pastor to see that, but I, I see that upfront given the nature of my vocation. Hey, it's Chris, friend of See, Here Love with Melinda. Sorry to interrupt this conversation, but I just had to let you know that the only way that See, Here Love gets to produce fun and authentic conversations like this one is through your financial donations. So go to seeherelove.com and click on the big donate button. Thanks for your support. Let's get back to the show. And thank you so much. I love the work that you're doing out in Vancouver. Um, When I was out there, you know, the community knows you, you're serving the community, and that, that's such a beautiful, inspiring, uh, you know, to hear about your people and how they're loving their city. It's, it's so inspiring. So keep up the great work. Thank you for sharing uh, with us today about why Jesus. I love that. I just love about, for many of us, we are exhausted and tired, and to know that there is a friend and companion that can carry that for you. And I think definitely that abundant life not necessarily in, in financial means, but abundant in, in so many ways of just uh, a presence of him, a, a community. Yeah, there's so many things we get into it, but I, I really appreciate your thoughts. So thank you so much, Ken, for being with us today. Thanks, Melinda. It's been a pleasure to be with you and, and your friends. Well, I so appreciated what Ken Shigematsu said about why he follows Jesus, that Jesus is always present with us. It's unexplainable and sometimes mystical, but his presence is real. Thank you so much, Ken. Well, coming up, uh, 
fashion entrepreneur who empowers women, a former NFL player who left a $37.5 million contract, and a best-selling author of Jesus Feminist shares with me why they follow Jesus. But first, co-host and social justice advocate Cheryl Nemhard shares that following Jesus means to stand up and speak up for the poor and marginalized. Black History Month 2021. I don't think there's ever been a time that I have felt the weight more than this year of what it means to be a black woman in Canada. You know, in this Black History Month, I've been thinking a lot about the story of Harriet Tubman and it's one we all know. It's one we all know. But I'm thinking about what it takes, the cost to freedom and to hoping for a new day. I think about the slaves that she carried through settings very similar to this, through the cold tundras of Canada that they called the promised land. Did you know that? Slaves from the South called Canada the promised land and their passage through the Detroit River they called the River Jordan. When I think about the promised land, I wonder, are we truly free yet? Have we truly conquered this beast known as racism? But what I do know is this, what gives me hope is this, is that there are those that are willing to stand for truth. And so to those people, we celebrate them today. To every black innovator, Every black creator, artist, politician, every person who has laid down their life so that I can be here today, I salute you. We salute you. I'm mindful of the bravery it took for Harriet Tubman, so moved by the Spirit of God. She was a God-fearing woman. So led by the Spirit that history tells us that she received divine instructions to find her way safely every time. So much so that people stood in awe. History tells us that she did this trek over 19 times to Canada and back to Canada and back, risking her life every single time. Araminta Ross, daughter of slaves, forever known as Harriet Tubman, a brave soldier of truth and freedom and justice. But what I love about this story of Harriet Tubman, particularly here in Canada, is that waiting on these shores were people who were also brave. The Quakers, who were compelled by their faith, motivated with the notion that slavery was immoral, was wrong. That they also too were brave, willing to risk their lives, to be abolitionists, to provide safe harbor, to go against the law and house and free hundreds to thousands of slaves here in Canada. I'm mindful of a woman named Jane Wall, who was one of the fiercest allies that every slave knew. And she had a safe harbor, uh, acres and acres of land that she dedicated to the housing, feeding, restoration, rehabilitation of slaves and giving them a new life here in this land. That's what it's gonna take. It's a time for allyship. You see, it takes bravery to speak 
to racial injustice. It takes bravery to address it. It takes bravery to do the work of it. But it also takes bravery to listen to the history and the stories of racial injustice. Now is not the time to remove ourselves from awkward conversation. Now is the time to lean in. Change won't happen without truth. Truth is necessary for change. So here's my truth today. I am who I am because I stand on the shoulders of brave black women who risked their lives, who stood up and spoke truth to power, who sacrificed name, integrity, freedom, uh, health for me to be in the room and for me to have a seat at the table. And so I don't waste my opportunity. And so here at See Here Love, we recognize every black Canadian and every black American that has contributed to history, to society, to building a better world that has lent their gifts, their talents, their heart, their passion, their very lives to making this world the incredible place that it is. We recognize your place in history and we know that we would not be here had it not been for you. This world is built together. We are stronger together. And so as we celebrate those brave soldiers, I celebrate those that are doing the work of justice today. To you, brave soldier, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Let's shatter anti-black racism. And it starts with us. It starts now. Happy Black History Month on behalf of myself, Melinda Estabrooks, and the entire See Here Love team. Canada is a greater place because of you. God bless you. Changed. It's all changed. But the word of God remains unchanged. Well, thanks, Cheryl. And my next guest is a force and the founder of Seiko Designs, an ethical fashion brand that educates and empowers women, a woman after my own heart. She is an author. She is a speaker. And wow, she is passionate about social enterprise, conscious consumerism, social justice, creative leadership, gender equity, risk taking and empowering women. Liz Bohannon, you are one of us here on See Her Love. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. What a delight. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here, especially on the topic of why Jesus. And Liz, personally, you know, you have an incredible story, but why do you follow Jesus today? You know, it's such an interesting question. And when I got the original kind of brief for the interview, and that was the simplicity of the question of why Jesus? I think for me, it feels like this question of um, why not (laughs) in the sense that, you know, when we think about religion, I think we, we think about a set of rules and it feels like a weight. Um, when I think about my relationship with Jesus, it's that it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really similar to the, to my answer to the question of like, why, why Ben, who's my, my husband and my partner or why Theo and Will, right. Mm -hmm. I think about the amount of joy and peace and meaning and purpose and, um, comfort 
that comes from my relationship with Jesus and kind of the, um, the sacredness of that. And I guess I would answer the question with like, why, why not? Why would I not want a connection? Um, I just read a prayer. I was at a um, little Advent gathering online, uh, this weekend. And I was probably the youngest by about 40 years. It was all women, like over the age of 70. It was amazing. (laughs) Um, and one of the women shared this, this prayer, um, it was originally in, in Spanish and it kind of talked about, there was this phrase that talked about how when Jesus was born as a baby, he, he crossed the infinite universe of stars, uh, Mm. to show us his love. And when I think about that and getting to access God's infinite love through our relationship with Jesus, I think the only response that I have is like, why, why not? <laughs> why I would I not that. want that? I love how you responded with the, well, why not? Like, of course, <laughs> Liz, in that, you know, why not? How has your relationship with him informed your business decisions, your everyday decisions? Because I think it's important for people to say, like, it's not just like a decision and then you don't work at it or it doesn't make any difference. It's just a decision. How has your relationship with Jesus changed the, the way that you do life? I think the core and guiding principle of my life that has been really influenced by that relationship is the belief of the Imago Dei. Um, so this yeah. belief that every child um, was, was created in the image of God. Um, and when I think about that, when I think about that, every human friend or foe, uh, neighbor across the street or neighbor across the world was created in the image and likeness of God. And that, um, there's this quote by, um, a teacher named Ram Das. He talks about this idea that we're all here to walk one another home. And I think Mm -hmm. about that probably every day. And I think about, um, building a life, building a community, building a family, building a business that centers this belief of the Imago Dei. And through my life, through my business, um, if I can reflect that back to other people, that you are beloved, that you are made in the image of the divine, um, if I can enter into relationships with people honoring the divine that is within them, Mm. um, reflecting that back to them and treating them with the dignity and respect that I believe the divine within us um, calls us to, um, that's how I want to spend my life. I love that, Liz, because that's exactly how Jesus saw people, sees people. When I look at his life and how he he saw women and children, the most broken and the marginalized and the poor, that's he saw them with the divine within them and called out. Oh, I'm getting chills. <laughs> called them out into love and value and meaning and new life. That's beautiful. I think, yeah, yeah that's that's amazing. Liz, thank you so much. Uh, we're cheering you on in the work of Seiko Designs. I mean, you've got to come back and share your story because it's an incredible story of how you got there. Um, thanks so much for your presence and life and uh, just your inspiration to many of us women today. So thank you again for being on See Here Love. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Jason Brown, welcome to See Here Love from my home to yours. How are you doing today? Doing awesome. Thank you for having me. Amazing. So where am I um, interviewing you from? You are in North Carolina? We're in Lewisburg, North Carolina. And right now, uh, I'm in our farmhouse, right on the farm. Beautiful. I can see that behind you. and It looks beautiful. Well, I think the most important thing is to get this out of the way. So um, I am a Green Bay Packers fan, a cheesehead, 
And my husband is a hardcore Buffalo Bills fan. So just getting out there because I know that you were with the Baltimore Ravens and the St. Louis Rams. And I don't know what you, you're, you, who you like cheer for now, but if it's going to cause animosity, we should get that out before we interview. <laughs> with that, just as long as it's not the Patriots, all right? Patriots, <laughs> and we're good to go. And for all my friends who are like Patriot fans, they're like, hmm. Anyway, no, that's, that's right. good. I was going to actually wear my cheese head during the interview, but I, I don't think it's, it would be so professional. Anyway, let's start off with that. Um, when you're growing up, Jason, because I want to hear some of your backstory, were you always like in love with football? I know you were with track and field as well, but was football your thing, your sport? Football was never my, my number one go-to thing. Oh. Um, actually, it was always uh, academics first. I always thought that my avenue was going to come through uh, the classroom and through the books. Um, but my high school coach came to me one day and said, hey, don't you know you can earn a scholarship playing a sport, playing football as well? And I was like, really? And so starting out, it was actually a business decision. Really? Yes. Wow. So you decide, okay, I'm going to go to the scholarship for football. When did you meet your wife, Tay? Was that um, before you became a professional football player? Yeah, definitely before. That was towards the end of my first year at, at Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill. And so now my wife, Tay, uh, she's a Dukie. She's a Duke Blue Devil. And, and so uh, we were on the opposite ends of Tobacco Road, you know, that big rivalry, uh, not really between football, but more so basketball. Okay. All right. So you decide to then go into – uh, professional football. Talk to me about that whole process because a lot of us don't know about what that entails and what it's like to be like a professional NFL player. Kind of give us a, a picture, maybe uh, the good and bad and all of it. So uh, th there's a big leap from the, the high school level to the collegiate level, but there's an even greater leap from college to, to the pros. And, and that's because the, the talent pool is so very small. Um, and it would, it, it's what it means to be a professional at its highest sense. Um, you're playing against some of the best athletes in, in the entire world. And, and the thing is, um, no matter how good you think you are, you have to bring your best every single day. Because if you don't, someone's going to take your job, all right? So someone's going to catch you slipping, and you'll get embarrassed very quickly. So when you're at your sort of top of your game and you are like, like the, the top center, like what was life like? Give us sort of an inside picture of that. Cause I think a lot of people are like, wow, I mean, he must've been living the high life and, and millions of fans watching and adoration to you. I mean, what was that like? What was, what was the good of that? But what was also the really difficult, hard part of that too? So now I, I did buy into the lifestyle, you know, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, I watched MTV Cribs, you know, growing up, you yes. know, thinking that how, how that lifestyle will be able to afford me everything that I wanted. And, and so, of course, I thought that that was the American dream. Um, but at the top of that mountain, um, it was pretty lonely because the thing is, what good is the American dream when you're leaving behind all of the Americans? And, and so... Um, it, it was a, a very lavish lifestyle uh, in St. Louis. We stayed in a 12,000 square foot mansion, but all at the same time, it was also very lonely. Uh, everyone hears the cliche that, hey, money can't buy you happiness. But when people hear that, they say, well, you know what? 
if I have a lot of money, I'm going to be different. You know, when they think that they're going to be the exception to the rule uh, when in actuality is not very different. All right. Uh, it's very lonely up there. Mm. How was your marriage during that time? So I was going, you know, the route of, of course, the, the big ego, um, you know, fame and fortune. And there was a lot of my character that was self-serving. Well, when it came to Tay in her own right, she had just graduated from UNC Dental School and she was a doctor. And everyone knows, hey, women's empowerment, all right, go out there and make a name for yourself as well. And so I was a professional in the highest sense. And Tay was a doctor. She, she being a professional as well. And the thing is, we're both chasing after these accolades and we're both chasing after the world when really, where's the focus on the family, right? Where's the focus on, on home? And, and so at that point, we kind of lost a little bit of ourselves and we also lost a little bit of our, our relationship as well. Wow. You know, Jason, I, I think a lot of people end up in that space you know, let a professional uh, sports, but I think even within ministry and, and church, I mean, I'll be honest, like even my husband and I, even though we're, where we work in, like he works in international development and I'm doing media, we have to intentionally consciously choose each other or we could literally get lost in the work that we do. That's right. What's your advice for people like that? Because you know, sometimes you focus on, well, you know, I, I want, I need success or, you know, the more that I am successful at work, the more money I get to provide for my family, make all these excuses. And then we actually don't make choices toward each other. For those that are in that same place that you and Tay were, what would you say to them? What's some of your encouragement? So you have to challenge yourself on, on these definitions, on these constructs. Um, of course, what the world and society tells us what providing for our family looks like. But in actuality, we have to look at our Bible. We have to look at God's word um, and what it describes as what providing for our family looks like. And that's love. You know, that, that's quality time. Um, you know, Jesus, he wants an awesome, intimate relationship with us. And at, at his deepest core, that's what a marriage is. A husband and a wife, you know, just sharing love and spending some quality time together. But it's really hard when you're chasing after the world all at the same time. Yeah, that's good. So you're at the top of your game, Jason. You've got a contract, $37.5 million, which is like astonishing and like astronomical amount of money. But I'm, I'm even for me personally, I'm like trying to conceive that as far as, as work. Uh, wow. And you decide to leave it and do something completely different. And even sitting there saying that, I'm like, it's like, and I, I talked to some of my friends about, they're like, what? He did what? <laughs> like, it's a shocking thing. Uh, let's talk about why you decided to leave that. You were the, you know, the top paid center in the NFL. Why you decided to leave it and where you went? So uh, in that big mansion one evening, um, I had an awesome encounter with Jesus. And Jesus told me, today. And I said, no, Jesus, you know, tomorrow, uh, just like you know, I always said a thousand times, you know, tomorrow, uh, I'll give my life tomorrow, uh, just like the song says. Um, but Jesus said, no, Jason, today. And he cared and loved me so much that he showed me a vision of my future. And here's what he showed me. Um, he showed me my brokenness, 
He showed me the divorce. He showed me all the pain. He showed me the bankruptcy. He showed me that I wasn't even in the same state as my children were. I wasn't even able to hug them and hold them when I wanted to. And in the end, I saw myself on my knees, all alone weeping, and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, surrounded by demons. And they're all just pointing fingers at me like, you're so stupid, Jason. You see um, you know, what your true reward is? And I said, no, not me. And Jesus said, yes, that is going to be you unless you humble yourself and repent. And I said, Jesus, I know that you can redeem and restore my marriage. I know that you can save my family. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You say the words and I'll do it right now. I know that you can save my family. And in the middle of that, I heard a clear audible voice that said, pour it all down the drain. And that sounded quite strange. I said, Jesus, I said, I do whatever you want me to do. Um, you know, what's going on? And again, he said, pour it all down the drain. And so in that mansion, we had two bars and I'm not even a drinking type person, but if you have two bars, the cool thing to do is to stock them with top shelf liquor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had all of these uncorked bottles um, and the bar in the basement, it was almost 20 feet long. And wow. so so instead of uplifting the name of Jesus in our home, we were uplifting the name of, yeah, Captain Morgan and Jack Daniels. But in obedience, I uncorked every single one of those bottles and poured it all down the drain. And that was my first act of obedience, uh, my first act of submission to Christ. And you know what? It, it, it was one of those Jesus take the wheel moments, yeah. right? Where yeah. you just feel so liberated and you feel so comforted at the same time because um, I wanted to be in control as much as I was holding the wheel. Of course, I was headed towards disaster and destruction. And, and so um, fast forward, he did it. Uh, of course he did it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and back to Jesus and I said, man, you're good at this. Like redeeming and restoring relationships. He's like, yeah, like I know that's what I do. And, and so uh, well past that first act of obedience, I said, well, well what else do you want me to do, right? I'll do anything. I told you I'd do anything. And then that's when God placed in my heart to feed his people and to be a farmer. To feed his people and be a farmer. So you were a professional football player and farming. When that came to you, basically from God, what was your response? Like, I mean, like you're, you're playing, you're in this big mansion, you've just poured down, you know, the, the booze and feed my people some people might think that's like okay well maybe be a preacher or um you know what i mean feed them spiritually or do something else but farming jason had you ever done farming was there anything about farming that connected you with farming so that's why you have to be so careful it was one of those be careful what you pray for moments you know careful what you wish for moments because yeah. when you open yourself up to god and you're that vulnerable and you say, I'll do whatever you want me to do, you don't know what his response is going to be. Mm -hmm. um, if you had told me 10 years ago that I would be on a farm, a beautiful farm, you know, working every single day, getting my hands dirty to feed people, I would have laughed at you, all right? I would have thought that was the craziest thing in the world. But I look back at it now, and it makes all the perfect sense. Tell me why it makes the perfect sense. You leave it all. You leave professional football, you leave that massive contract to become a farmer and to feed people. What was, how was that 
transition for you and the family and what kind of farm and how are you feeding people now? So it, it started with, of course, the call from God and mm -hmm. then a leap of faith. Um, you know, God calls so many people every day to do some, some pretty awesome things, but then comes the obedience, right? Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, and, and I say fortunately because it was still a very tough decision, um, I took that leap into the unknown, not knowing where I was going, of course, not knowing a thing of what I was doing, and not even owning any land back in North Carolina. Um, but all the while, God was telling me, in me, there's no failure, all right? Uh, just, just keep walking, Jason, walking in faith, and I'll guide your steps. And for me, before being a control freak, all right, me wanting to be in control of my life, that felt so uncomfortable, all right, walking into the unknown. But here's the covenant that my wife and I made with God. We said, whatever land you bless us with, wherever you lead us, we're going to call that land First Fruits Farm, and we're going to give the first fruits of everything that's grown from that land to your people, to our neighbors, uh, our neighbors you have called us to love. And what does love actually look like, right? Um, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that whatever you have done for the least of these, you have also done for me. And so the thing is, I know we're in America, one of the most richest countries in the world, but yet there's suffering all around us. And when we see that suffering, there's also the opportunity for compassion mm -hmm. to actually share our hearts, to share our best and give compassion and love to our neighbors. And so on its most practical sense, um, that's what we're doing through our food ministry, growing food, uh, which North Carolina, unfortunately, is one of the most food insecure states in our country. Uh, ranks 10th, actually. Uh, one in five children in some counties, it's a size one in four children, don't know where their next meal is going to come from. So I, I know we look at missions in, in other countries. I know we look at so many other things that we can do, but there's a lot of need in our very own backyard. And this is what God has called us to do. Incredible. So you didn't know farming. How did you learn farming and what kind of produce are you growing in your farm? So uh, I get a lot of laughs uh, when I tell people I learned how to farm from watching YouTube videos. <laughs> so awesome. natural for me because um, I watched a lot of film while playing football. Uh, we watched hours and hours of film every single day. I would break it down, emulate what I saw, and transfer it over to the football field. And so here at farm, I can naturally watch hours of videos, break down what I see, emulate it, and transfer it over to the farm field. It, it, it actually kind of natural. Um, so the skill of what you learn in football actually was, like you say, transferable to sort of learning, watching, taking it, emulating it onto the field, and now literally a field. Oh my goodness, Jason, I'm getting it now. I know, <laughs> I right? I'm getting what God was meaning. So, like mind blown it's, it's one of those like karate kid mr miyagi type deals yes. mr miyagi I, i'm painting a fence what does this have to do with karate and mr miyagi all the time is like watch danielson you'll see all yes. right of course I, i'm i'm preparing and playing football thinking about 
what does any of this have to do with farming? But there's a lot of similarities. Very yeah. many. Okay, so what are you growing? So North Carolina is the sweet potato capital of the world. More oh. grown in North Carolina than any other state, all right? Uh, it's also our state vegetable. Uh, it's very nutrient dense, and so the core of what we grow that's a lot of sweet potatoes. Um, it, it's, it works very well for our, our soil and our climate here, as well as many of the thousands of volunteers that come and visit our farm every single year uh, to help grow in love. That's a great, I love sweet potatoes, especially with a garlic aioli sauce when they make them as like little, like sweet potato fries. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so, I mean, that's amazing. I'm now seeing the connection. I can see, you know, that's amazing, Jason, when I think about sort of God's plan, because it seems so, like when I was looking to say, I want to interview you, it seems so different, the the connection. But when you put that together, it's like God knew. I think it's for everybody. I think that's a good lesson for all of us. It's like, it may look so incredibly strange and abstract and extreme, but I love how already the skills and thinking were there while you're playing football to do this great work in farming and, and feeding uh, your neighbors uh, and friends in North Carolina. That's incredible. That's a beautiful, wow. That's just beautiful to kind of, to connect what God is doing. Jason, in that, you know, this show is about why Jesus. And I've been loving listening to, uh, some of the people that have been talking about why they follow Jesus and hearing your story, you know, I, I can see that thread, but I want to hear from you. Why do you follow Jesus? Why Jesus over anybody else or any other religion? Why Jesus? I tell you what, uh, he deserves all credit. He deserves all, all the glory, all, all the honor. Um, people have no idea. Um, with all that money that I had, um, staying in that huge mansion, just how miserable I was. I went to bed every single night, stressed out of my mind. Went, woke up every single morning, stressed out of my mind. I'm talking about the demons. They were already like taunting me, all right, day and night. And um, Jesus took all that away. Um, that there is no source of comfort, joy and peace um, that this world can give you, it can only come from him. And um, even though I'm working harder now than I ever did playing football, all right? And I'm working for free, okay? <laughs> all, all, all for his calling, all for his glory, all right? Um, working harder now, um, I have responsibilities like way above my head, but ask me how I sleep right now. I sleep like a baby. Mm. Um, the, the joys that, that he has brought, uh, not just me, but my family. Uh, when we first got here to the farm, um, our third was on the way, uh, little Noah. And now we have eight awesome, beautiful children growing up here on a farm. And I tell this to everyone, a farm is the best place to raise a family. Um, we have, yeah, free range children. Okay. Uh, so pasture raised kids, uh, you know, just, just out here, just running around and I owe it all to Jesus, everything. Mm -hmm. 
Jason, that's beautiful. Let me ask you, why the emotion? As soon as you started talking, there was this deep, deep soul core emotion that came out of you. Um, unless you've been there, very few will understand. Gotta forgive me. All right. You, you, really, you really got me with this one, all right? You, you really got me with this interview. Um, I had no idea you were going to have me over here bawling, all right? <laughs> but, uh, but, but since you started talking about my savior and my best friend, um, I had a boldness for the world, all right? Um, since my youth, um, I, I had a boldness. Um, and I went out there and I was the best towards the world. Mm -hmm. um, little did I know that, yeah, I was gaining the world and yet losing my soul all at the same time. Um, I knew from an early age exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I grew up in church, grew up in the Bible Belt. Um, I heard about Jesus. I heard the stories. I heard other people's testimonies. And like I said before, I said, yeah, whatever. I, I'm going to live my life. Um, but the thing is, is that all the while I was chasing after the world, I didn't know how much of the hole I was digging for myself, all right? If, if the wages of sin is death, then wow. We talk about me being a multimillionaire. Yeah, I'm, I'm a multimillionaire, but on the wrong side of these scales. And the thing is, there's nothing that I could have done in my own might, nothing that I could have done in my own effort that could have saved me and pulled me out of that ditch. It was all Jesus. And so that's why um, I, I'm so ashamed that I knew about the gospel, but yet I still rejected him. Mm -hmm. I, I'm so ashamed that I took advantage of Jesus so many times mm -hmm. and used him as a whipping boy for, for my own personal gain. And he is so much more than that. He is so worthy. And that's why I, I owe him my all. I owe him everything. So to God be the glory. Yeah. Jason, thank you for that. I, I was going to follow up with a question, and I, I don't think I need to now. Because I think for our viewers and listeners, they get it. And I think many of them, many young people are pursuing success and money, their own desires, and have, don't think they need Jesus. But I bet, Jason, that most of those people that we see that are successful and wealthy on Instagram and living their life are deeply lonely, are deeply disconnected. Yeah. 
different people, relationships broken. And I'm not trying to make a judgment call on them. I'm just saying, hearing you with everything that you had, I mean, you were even married too, but yet there was this hole because you're trying to fill it with all these other things that were not the real thing, which is a, a, a real and true relationship with Jesus. And I feel yeah. that I really appreciate the vulnerability and authenticity that you are, you know, that you are showing because I think that's real. I think people need to know that, that when we choose him, we get it. And we look back and go, man, cause I, you know, Jason, I did the same thing. I, I call it my prodigal years. I mean, I grew up as a missionary kid. I was adopted by missionaries in the Philippines. I came to Canada, had it all knew Jesus and completely walked away for years and got myself in so much trouble and pain and had to find my way back. And now I look back and I'm like, ah, oh, those wasted years. But I think that, you know, I love that God redeems and restores and gives us new dreams and visions like he did for you. And then we take that and we feed people and we, we listen to people and we share with people and we invite people to the table and to their tables. Like that's what it's about. Right. And so I, I'm so encouraged and inspired by you in your life. Really. I think many who are listening and watching will be too. And just wanted to thank you so much for your life, your obedience and faithfulness and for your voice today. So thanks Amen. for being with us on the show. To God be the glory. Thank you. Thanks. Wow. Jason Brown. Here's a question for all of us. Would you leave a $37.5 million contract? to follow Jesus and God's call in your life? A great question to think about today and this week. Well, coming up, I have best-selling author of Jesus Feminist, Sarah Bessie, with me to talk about why she follows Jesus. But now, here's an opportunity for you to join our See Here Love community. We'd love to be a part of your journey. From the host of See, Here Love, Melinda Estabrooks and 50 of her guests and friends comes the book, Always Know, full of stories of lives that are inspiring, wise, and life-changing. God hears you. He hears your prayers. He hears the longing for connection. He hears the cries of pain that you're experiencing, and He loves you deeply. This month, with your ministry gift of $25 or more, or when you become a new monthly donor, request your copy of Always Know. It is a collection of stories to help you today in the things that you're struggling with, the things that you are confronted with. And I know that these stories will encourage you. Call 1-800-265-3100 or visit seeherelove.com slash always know and request your copy. See Here Love is where you are. Find our hopeful and inspiring faith stories on your favorite platform and encouraging content daily on Instagram and Facebook. To learn more and stay updated, sign up for our newsletter on seeherelove.com. Well, she's the best-selling author of Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, Out of Sorts, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith, and Jesus feminist. She's also the co-founder of the Evolving Faith Community, a podcaster, a much sought after speaker. She lives in Abbotsford, British Columbia with her husband and four kids. You've got it, guys. Four 
kid, Sarah Bessie, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to be here. It's good to see you again. I know. I love being with you and your presence. Now, Sarah, I was reading your long bio, and I came across this <laughs> about you, and I love it. And I have to just say it, and then I want to ask you about it. My faith tradition is of the happy, clappy, low church, charismatic, flag-waving variety. But after time spent during my own deconstruction with everyone from Anglicans to Mennonites to nuns and duns, I'm best described as ecclesiastically promiscuous, and I just love everybody. (laughs) I love it. Sarah, how did you get here? Because a lot of us say we love everybody, but we sure don't show it by our actions and the words we say. Oh, that's very true. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I think that that's a a bit of a, of a journey that a lot of us have been on. Um, You know, I had a time in my life, um, probably about 15, 20 years ago, where I felt like I kind of crashed and burned out of church as I understood it. And in a lot of ways, I thought that that meant I had to leave behind Jesus. Um, That if my own particular tradition had baggage for me, or maybe I was simply unable to, you know, kind of part the weeds of my own tradition, to be able to see Jesus any longer. I thought that that meant, well, if I can't be a Christian the way that I've always been a Christian, then I guess that means I don't get to be one anymore. And instead, the breadth and the diversity and the goodness of um, how wide the church is and how big it is um, reminded me that my story is not the only story. And that my way of um, reading the Bible or of knowing Jesus um, or of uh, discipleship, for instance, it was precious and good. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. But at the same time, the, um, the opening up of curiosity and wonder and learning from people who experienced God so differently than I did helped me relearn how to love God again. Mm, I love that. And, and loving everybody. It's, it's a journey I've been on Sarah as well. And I think that um, it's, it's been, it's been hard, but it's been really good, you know, especially for me coming out of, you know, it's a strong Baptist conservative evangelical place and, and being open to a lot more things as far as my friendships and relationships with people, my own husband who comes from a mainline background, um, and us trying to sort that out. So I, I love that. And it's so inspiring in that. Sarah, why do you follow, follow Jesus? I mean, there's been a lot of church hurts. There's been quite a journey, but you still remain true to him with him. Why? Well, that's a good question. I love that you're asking these <laughs> questions. Um, <laughs> I think that, well, I'll tell you this. Um, a small, just a small little window mm-hmm. into kind of what was going on. So, you know, 15 years ago, I was deep in um, deconstruction, as we, you know, kind of call it, where basically I was just kind of like, I don't know what I believe about anything anymore. I feel like everything I thought I knew about God was just disappearing like steam on a mirror. And I felt very unmoored. I felt like I couldn't even call myself a Christian any longer. And I had just kind of this very, um, I don't know, uh, you know, funny response to me now, I suppose, which was just like, well, that's it. I'm going to go read the Gospels. I'm going to figure out <laughs> once and for all whether or not I'm in or I'm out. And which, again, is, you know, a very uh, Protestant thing probably for me to do. So I ended up spending some time with the Gospels. And I had this very um, vivid memory of reading the Sermon on the Mount in, uh, in Luke. I want to say it's Luke chapter six. 
and sitting at our kitchen table. And my husband was in, in the kitchen at the sink. He was washing some veggies from the garden. And I remember just like slamming my Bible shut and shouting at him. I would have followed this guy because I almost felt ripped off and angry over how I had lost Jesus in the church mm. and how it had become about so many other things. There was this great, um, you know, uh, writer and theologian named Michael Spencer who called it churchianity. I was very well versed in churchianity and I <laughs> yes. had lost Jesus in the midst of all of that. And I think that day reading Luke chapter six and hearing, you know, blessed are the poor and the merciful uh, and the meek, that these are the people that inherit the earth and just seeing over and over um, without filter and without um, the clutter and trappings that had somehow come to obscure Jesus for me, how revolutionary, how good this was. And then that started me on a path of realizing that Jesus was even better than I could have imagined that his life and work and ministry and the way that we get to move through our lives now in co-creation with that, in partnership with that, um, it changed everything for me. And the funny thing about all of that, of course, is that, it, you know, by following Jesus, it actually led me back to the church, right? It led me back yeah. to not only the width of the traditions and all the places where I found God, but it even gave me new and fresh eyes to see my own tradition again, um, and learn to love and cherish it again. And so, yeah, I think that there was just this, that moment I remember so clearly because I felt like I, I love this guy. I would follow this guy. If yeah. this is what it's about, then this is enough for me. And this is everything to me. And, uh, and it has, I probably not been able to get over Jesus since. Oh, Sarah, that is so that is so good. And I think so encouraging for people that, you know, you know, a lot of times we're afraid to sit in the questions or the angst or, you know, all of those sort of like gross feelings that we feel. And I think that that's the invitation where God's like, great, bring it on, come sit with me. Let's talk. Let's, let's figure it out. Let's, let's push in, you know, into this and, and push through. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, Sarah, you're such an inspiration to me because I know that you've gone, through some deep loss in areas of your life, and yet your voice stands strong and clear. And so thank you so much for being this tremendous, hopeful, real, authentic voice in Canada and in the world to women like myself as we journey and figure our faith out and as we follow Jesus. So thank, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Belinda. It's so good to spend some time with you. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks to everyone who's sharing today. I love the question that we're asking. Why do we follow Jesus? I've been thinking about this question a lot since Melinda asked me to speak about it and trying to explain why I do something that I've been doing for, well, decades of my life. And the story that came to mind for me was a story that we call the story of the prodigal son. It's a story out of Luke chapter 15, and it's typically focusing on the story of this younger son who asks and demands his father for an inheritance. He goes away, spends it all, and then comes back hoping that maybe he could uh, seek forgiveness from his dad. But I resonate more with the older son, the son who stayed behind and worked hard, who'd been there the whole time. And when he doesn't understand the mercy of the father for the brother, for the younger son, um, the father says to him, my child, you have always been with me and everything that I have is yours. 
I think that's the kind of relationship that I know with Jesus. It's this kind of relationship where I feel like the child who is loved and who has everything from my father offered to me. I, I feel the grace and the presence of God in my life. I've known it. I've known his forgiveness. I've known his mercy, but I've also known the generosity of God. The reason I still follow Jesus even now is because I think of his generosity to me, his generosity of love, his generosity of support, his generosity of listening to me and his presence with me feels so generous. In every season of life, uh, he has been a constant. I have known the presence of God and more than that, uh, that he answers my prayers. He hears me like a good dad with his kid. He hears me, he is with me, and then he offers all of the riches of his power, his presence, his kingdom to me as his child. I've experienced that in my life. And that is why I follow Jesus. Well, thank you so much, Joanna and Sarah and Liz and Cheryl and Jen and Ken and Jason for sharing your thoughts on why Jesus and why you follow him and how he informs each decision that you make. You know, today I learned a lot. I learned that Jesus is always with us. He is present. Jesus is a, is a rebel. He sits with our sorrow. He motivates us to care for those that are broken and poor and marginalized. He motivates us to, uh, to love mercy, and to seek out justice for those that need a voice. Jesus is real. And so if you are on the edge and on the fringe and on the margins and asking the question, is he? I think you need to, to take advice from Liz and say, why not Jesus? Why not try him today? Why not seek him out? Best thing to do is right now, just talk to him and pray and say, are you real? Show me. Here's my life. And I'm going to trust and hope and believe that you love me and that you will love me through this. And he will. And if you need more information on a relationship with Jesus, why Jesus, why not uh, content and blogs and to know more about our guests, go to seeherelove.com. It's all there. And here's our promise to you that as you seek, and if you've been gone a long time and you've been hurt by the church or just felt hurt by God, I think it's time for you to come home because know this promise. You are seen, you are heard, and you are deeply loved by God. Bye. with Melinda Estabrooks is a production of Crossroads Christian Communications Incorporated, a member of the Canadian Council of Christian Charities. To support this program, please visit seeherelove.com and click the donate button or call 1-800-265-3100. And from me and the See Here Love team, thanks so much for your support.